Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, also known as the Bitcoin Boomer. Now, this is the start of our second season, and so much has happened in the world since we were here last. It's kind of amazing how much stuff has happened. Number one, the price of Bitcoin went above $60,000 twice since we did our last episode, but could not hold that price either time. Today, we're at a little over $40,000. There's been a new president elected, President Joe Biden. Russia has invaded Ukraine. That's all on the news channels everywhere now. That's all you see. And the Fed has printed so much money that the inflation, well, it's simply out of control. Now, many people say these are the times and this is what Bitcoin was created for. This is what Bitcoin was created to help us with. Now, at the moment, boomers, yes, boomers like myself, baby boomers, control the majority of money, and most of the boomers do not understand Bitcoin at all. Now, maybe you fit that category, but maybe you're not a boomer, and you still don't understand what Bitcoin is, but you want to learn what Bitcoin is. Now, on this show, we're going to teach boomers and non-boomers or try to educate you on what Bitcoin is. We're going to try to teach what Bitcoin is, where Bitcoin came from, and where Bitcoin is going, and what Bitcoin means for the future of you, me, the United States, everywhere on the planet. Now, I'm going to bring on guests, great guests, I believe, to help me explain what Bitcoin is to you. So if you want to learn about Bitcoin, please make sure and come back week after week. Watch this show. Tell your friends about it. Tell your mom and dad. Tell your kids. Tell anyone you know to watch the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Now, today's guest is Dan Held. And someone he's someone who's been involved with Bitcoin well longer than anyone I actually know. Now, we're going to have Dan on, and he's going to explain a lot of things to you. We're going to do a Q&A, and he's going to explain the super cycle, which is something Dan came up with. But we'll be back to talk with Dan after these words from our sponsor. But make sure you're here when these commercials are over. I'm Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer. And again, welcome to Episode 1. Okay guys, this is Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer, and you need to come here if you want to find out what Bitcoin is, if you want to just meet some great people and have a great time, come to BitBlock Boom. But there's one thing, you have to be a Bitcoiner. We don't allow shitcoiners. Last week in August, every year, moving to Austin for 2022. Yeah, I love coming to BitBlock Boom because it's like it's like Mecca for Bitcoiners. Like everybody here is like part of the hardcore like inner sanctum. Um, you just have these conversations with everybody where like, you can see it in their eyes that they believe the same things that you believe. If you come to BitBlock Boom once, you're going to come every year. The speakers are great. The networking is great because you know, that's really what it's about when you're a, a Bitcoiner, especially when you're a new Bitcoiner, is you want to network with as many Bitcoiners as you can and learn because there's so much information, not only about Bitcoin, but about money in general. Hey, so I'm down here at BitBlock Boom and what energy, what a lot of fun. It's all Bitcoiners 
and uh, just good people. That's the one thing that, that all my interactions that I've had with people, you can tell you're just dealing with a culture of people that just want to make the world a better place. So if you want to come to a Bitcoiner conference, not a crypto conference or a shitcoiner conference, if you want to come to a Bitcoin conference, you would come to Bitblock Boom. But like I said, don't even mess with it. Don't even think about it. Don't even attempt to buy a ticket if you're a shitcoiner because your money's going to come back and you'll just make us both work. But if you're a Bitcoiner, you need to sign up and come to Austin now and come to Bitblock Boom. Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer. Now today's guest is Dan Held, but before we bring on Dan, I want to tell you about something I just did. I just actually wrote a book with some friends of mine. This is the Bitcoin and the American Dream. It's a short book. If you want to learn something about Bitcoin, this was created for politicians actually. If you want to learn a little bit about Bitcoin, go to Bitcoin, the American Dream, and order yourself a copy today. I think you'll enjoy it. It was written with me, or I wrote it with seven of my friends. Now let's bring on Dan and see how Dan's doing. Dan, how are you doing? Well, Gary, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a great to have you on the show. We haven't talked in a while, I think, since uh, Austin at the Unchained Capital uh, event. Um, I believe so. Yeah, Last well, time we were hanging out at your conference up in Dallas. Yes, that was a good conference. We're going to do that in Austin this year, by the way. Why don't you, before we get going, though, Dan, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? You, Because you really are one of the people who've been in Bitcoin maybe longer than anyone I know. I'm, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head who's been in Bitcoin longer than you. And there wouldn't be a lot of people if that we could put on that list that's been in it longer than you. So can you tell people a little bit about yourself? Well, thanks for, thanks for the kind words, Gary. Uh, my story is that I started in Bitcoin in 2011, 2012, um, when a buddy paid me back for a beer with a, a Bitcoin. And so from there, I, my curiosity was sparked and I started to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as we call it, and started to learn more about it. And um, in early 2013, I built my first product product as in first uh, application or piece of software that it built from the space. So that was called Zero Block. We got bought by blockchain.com. And so that kicked off my career in the cryptocurrency space. So I would set, kind of separate my interest in this space with my involvement in building things. So um, been in, been loving Bitcoin since early 2011, 2012. So for me, that was like uh, Bitcoin represented a, a new money for freedom. And so from there, I've been working at a couple of different companies in the space. I work at Kraken.com currently. Kraken is one of the biggest exchanges in the world. And so I lead growth marketing over there. But my personal brand and, and what I talk about most often is Bitcoin. I love Bitcoin. I think that Bitcoin represents, as I mentioned before, a great moment for freedom. And so I want to make sure that more and more people find that value. Well, that is something to easily get entangled in the web of Bitcoin once you understand Bitcoin. You know, I always tell people Bitcoin is very hard to see, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. You, you think that's probably a pretty good description there? I think that's a great description. We, uh, we refer to that as orange pilling in the space, kind of like the proverbial uh, 
um, pilling that occurs in, in the matrix where you can choose to wake up from the matrix or you can choose to exist in the matrix once you get orange pilled or once you wake up to the reality that Bitcoin might be the next money in the world, you uh, you start to wake up to that reality. And so it definitely changes how you think. And we've seen Bitcoin go from, well, I've not, I didn't get in early enough to see it, but basically in the last, what, 12 years, Bitcoin has gone from a nickel to over $60,000 twice, dropping back down both times. But now we're kind of seem to be edging back up. But before we get into all of that, you know, information, which maybe we're jumping in too deep for the beginner, why don't we start with what, uh, some simple questions, some easier questions. To me and you, they may be easier, but maybe these questions will help other people see what Bitcoin is. And my first question, sometimes it can be the hardest, but it's the most basic. What is Bitcoin, Dan? What is it? Yeah, so if you're feeling confused already, don't worry. The comedian John Oliver, so he's this British comedian, he phrased you know, how it feels to understand or learn about Bitcoin as everything you don't understand about money with everything you don't understand about computers. So if you feel that way, <laughs> you're in the common common sort of feeling of, of first uh, hearing about Bitcoin. So, well, what is Bitcoin? Why should we care? Or why, why, why is Bitcoin valuable? So Bitcoin represents a, an alternative money that is not controlled by a government. And so Bitcoin has chosen a lot of different parameters to make it a very good type of money. For example, there will only be 21 million Bitcoin forever. That means no politician, no one can go and print more Bitcoin. Um, in addition, Bitcoin has a feature called decentralization. And what that does is it allows Bitcoin to not have its money supply manipulated. It allows Bitcoin to be uh, constructed in a certain way where it removes um, any sort of control or centralized control over it, which would censor or change its monetary policy. That's in stark contrast to our current money, whether it be the dollar, euro, yen, pound, those are all centrally controlled and we have to trust someone in the government. And so that's that's what the core premise of Bitcoin is, is it's an alternative money that's not controlled by a government. And that's a good thing because control over money as we've seen through thousands and thousands of years of financial history, going all the way back to the Romans, the temptation to print money by politicians is irresistible. And they will always do that, which means you will have inflation where the dollars that you have in your bank account or euro or yen, they slowly lose value over time as they are eroded by inflation. But Bitcoin does not have that problem. Bitcoin solves that problem. Well, now, another question I get asked a lot, Dan, is I want to move on to this, and then I'm going to kind of come back to a little bit of that. But one of the questions that people bring up to me next is, why do I even need Bitcoin? I have PayPal, I have credit cards, I have Zelle. Why do I need Bitcoin? You know, why do I need another payment method or another way of having money? That's a great question. And Bitcoin's value proposition isn't in its digital nature. It's in the nature of how it's constructed, which gives it certain parameters or values as a money. So yes, we have PayPal, we have Venmo, we have Cash App, and the, that allows you, and then we have ACH and wires. And so money has already been digital for quite some time. What Bitcoin provides us is it's a money that's not created by government, but we have other two parameters that are really important. One is that you cannot censor transactions on the Bitcoin network, which means that Bitcoin is uncensorable. That means you can't be canceled. You can't be canceled if you're uh, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever you may be, you can transact on the Bitcoin blockchain and that transaction cannot be censored. Um, second, you also have Bitcoin's 
Seizure ship resistance, and so what does that mean? Well, as we saw in Canada with the Bitcoin truck, with the, uh, the with the truckers, they can have their assets frozen if you're on the wrong side of a, of a political debate. With Bitcoin, you can't have your assets frozen because with Bitcoin you control that. If you have a private key, a private key is a fancy way of saying a, essentially like an encryption key, and that key is essentially the the key that opens up your vault of Bitcoin. So if you have that key, if you control that key yourself, no one can take your Bitcoin away from you. No one can freeze it. Um, to give you an idea of how, pro how protected Bitcoin is, um, to crack that private key, to crack that key that opens up my Bitcoin vault, would take every computer on the earth 10,000 years to crack it if they spent all of their time nonstop trying to crack that password. So Bitcoin is very secure. It offers people the ability to store wealth in a way that can't be seized and to transmit it in a way that can't be censored. So Bitcoin is my money in my vault that no one can take, no one can stop me from using, and no one can cause inflation to. So it's a, a powerful tool. And as Voltaire said, with great uh, power comes great responsibility and having your own money and being in control of it is great power that I don't think people understand how great a power that is. What would you say to that? Totally. It's, I think that's a wise word to say because in, in, you know, on one hand, you can control your money um, which is great. But on the other hand, if you forget your password um, and you control that money or you forget your backup, you know, this means that that Bitcoin may not be recoverable. So it's it gives you a lot of power over your money, but it certainly gives you such a degree of power that you can potentially hurt yourself. So it's important to remember, you know, and, and be careful with how you manage your Bitcoin. Um, you can choose to trust someone else, like, for example, a Coinbase or Kraken, but that does somewhat defeat the purpose of Bitcoin, where you should own it yourself. You should control it yourself. But yes, as you mentioned, with great power comes great responsibility. So when you manage your own private keys, you need to make sure that you manage it well. You know, a similar example would be like if you have a gun, uh, making sure that it's not loaded, making sure that you carefully use it when you go to the firing range or when you take it out, you don't have it loaded, you make sure you don't point it at anybody. Same sort of thing with Bitcoin. When you use your Bitcoin, when you store your Bitcoin, you wanna make sure that you make it um, accessible, that you make sure that you remember your password um, and that you make it make sure that you don't do anything that would potentially um, erase your Bitcoin from existing. But I've been around 10 years and haven't lost mine yet. So it's a very doable exercise. I think a lot of people can do it. They just need to take well, the time Dan, to think about it. You know, unlike Bitcoin, if you lose your password, it's not coming back. We will be back right after this break. So stick to for the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm Gary Leland, joined today by Dan Held from Kraken. Now, Dan, want to bring you back in here. These questions are great. You're giving us great answers to the questions. Um, actually, Dan, I had people, I had boomers send me these questions. So, uh, so I, was, I was getting them from the horse's mouth, let's say. Um, so, but you're doing a great job to answer them. So let's roll right into the next one instead of messing around. Um, how is, you know, Bitcoin has, let me state this first, Bitcoin, you can only have 21 million Bitcoin ever. It's a fixed amount. But how's that limit of 21 million enforced? Why can't someone make more Bitcoin? Why can't they say, oh, we need another million Bitcoin? Like they do to the U.S. dollar when they print 
more money in the last year than had been printed ever. I mean, how's that enforced? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And we will have to get a little technical to answer this, but I'll do my best to keep it simple. So Bitcoin has software that's run if you want to connect to the Bitcoin network. So when you connect to the Bitcoin network, you run a Bitcoin full node. And what you do is you connect to the Bitcoin network and you choose to run a, a, a version of Bitcoin that everyone else agrees with. And that version of Bitcoin has 21 million. So it is possible and it's called a hard fork. And in a hard fork, you can create a new version of Bitcoin that has 22 million. The thing is, no one else is going to want to run that code. No one else is going to want to connect to that Bitcoin network. So you're free to create any version of Bitcoin you want. I can create Dan Bitcoin. You can create Gary Bitcoin. The thing is, we'd have to convince everyone else to switch to it, and no one's going to do that. And so that's how the 21 million hard cap is enforced, is that everyone chooses to connect to the Bitcoin network and run that version of Bitcoin that has 21 million. And there's no reason why we would all suddenly agree that Bitcoin is 22 million because it would be very financially disadvantageous for us. It would dilute our existing supply of Bitcoin and there would be no reason for us to want to go do that. So um, is it technically possible? Sure, the entire world could wake up and say, we want 22 million Bitcoin. But out of all the monetary policies in the world, that is the least probable event. So the probability of that occurring, I would say is infinitesimally small, but to be uh, accurate and to be honest, it is potentially, um, could potentially happen, but there would be zero financial advantage for people to choose to do so. So I find it basically infinitesimally uh, likely to happen. So since it can only be 21 million Bitcoin, and as you're saying, the odds of it are so uh, minuscule that it could never probably happen, you can't even get them to agree to make a good change as small. You can't get that many people to agree on anything. But since there's only 21 million, we discovered that. So that's what the difference between inflation-wise, which I'm talking about inflation now, which we talked about earlier, because the dollar is inflating like no tomorrow. That's what's going to keep Bitcoin from inflating is it just can't be done where uh, if you allow people to print money, they're going to print it. <laughs> totally. The, tempta the temptation to print money is irresistible. The politicians like to print money because it means they can fund different programs, which then buy them votes. Let's not sugarcoat it, whether it be Republican or Democrat, they all buy votes. They buy votes through military industrial complex sort of things. They buy it through cutting taxes. And then on the Democratic side, they buy it through on the Democrat side, they buy it through social welfare programs. So by being close to the money printer, they're able to fund their own elections. Um, Bitcoin restores the balance that should exist in the government. As we know, in the United States, we have the legislative, executive, and judicial branches, and those are supposed to counterbalance each other. Well, in reality, they don't. We need one more counterbalance. We need a money that is not controlled by the government. And that is truly what it means to be free, because when we have that, we separate that power from that money. And that's very important because when we look at uh, as, how our money has been handled over the last you know, 100 years, we look and it's been eroded and eroded away as politicians choose to print. Um, and inflation, in fact, hasn't been higher since the 1980s. Now, I wasn't alive back then, but all you boomers, boomers watching this were alive <laughs> back then. So I'm sure you remember the-, uh, the I remember, I remember the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun time, but also a time of high inflation. So, you know, I think that we're, we're destined for a moment like that again. And so with that, back in that day, you'd either store money in gold, which I believe gold like 20x, what, that, what does that mean? Gold went up 2000%. 
due to the massive amount of money printing. And so with Bitcoin, it's the same sort of gold 2.0-esque hedge. You can store your value in that. No government controls the production of gold mining. No government controls the mining of Bitcoin. And so Bitcoin offers a good alternative to your fiat money, your money in your bank account that's controlled by a government. Now, speaking of that, I think when I was maybe in the 70s or 80s, I can't remember when it was, I was a kid, but gold was about $35 an ounce and quickly went up to $60 an ounce. And then during the time period you're talking about, went up over $1,000 an ounce. I believe that we're seeing inflation now at the same rate we saw it then, just the numbers are skewed so we don't get as excited. Why isn't gold moving up like, um, like it did in the 80s? It's a great question. I mean, my hypothesis would be that Bitcoin is offering a good alternative to gold and that gold, you can't email gold over the internet. It's gold was a, was a good money before the digital world existed. But now that we have the digital world, we need a digitally native asset, and Bitcoin is the only one that offers that um, with, the, with the same settlement assurances that gold has, where it has final settlement assurances with the same monetary properties, but better. For example, how much gold exists in the world? Does we don't know. know. Does we have no know? idea. <laughs> how much more gold will exist in the world? We don't know. But with Bitcoin, we know exactly how much Bitcoin will exist, and that gives confidence in the currency. And that builds over time and that confidence and that trust in it is all what gives money value to begin with, with the dollar, with Bitcoin, with gold. So I would say Bitcoin objectively has better characteristics as money. It's digitally native, which means it's far more transportable. It's verifiable. So, you know, verifying a brick of gold is really hard to do at home. You can verify Bitcoin using your home computer um, or you're on your cell phone, which is amazing. And then also it's not like divisible. Uh, I can't shave off a gold flake to go buy a loaf of bread. If we, if we had a scenario where we needed gold, like a, a, a doomsday scenario, good luck trying to spend it. Um, a lot of people like to count, a lot of gold bugs like to say, well, what happens when the internet you know, gets turned off? And I tell them, well, we skip the gold standard. We move <laughs> to the lead standard, which is bullets. <laughs> and so, um, you know, gold isn't that practical as a money. Um, it existed during a time when it was the best thing that we had. But Bitcoin is, is, is a gold 2.0, a digital gold that is far superior on, on most traits. Yes, if uh, the lead standard, as you call it, comes up in the end of the world scenario, you aren't going to be trucking very far with bars of gold. It's a heavy. I mean, it's a heavy metal. And then you're going to get to a checkpoint and someone's going to take it from you. So it's not like it's going to be this thing that's going to save you in a doomsday situation. And that, not Absolutely. many people also, Dan, I'm sure you know this, but not many of our viewers might. Do you know why there are those ridges around the edges of quarters? And they used to be on uh, gold coins because people used to shave off some of the coins. So they put those ridges <laughs> on there so you could know that the coin was shaved off. So, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that's the deal on that. So, Dan, you're saying that Bitcoin is taking away business, basically, from gold. And that if Bitcoin wasn't here, the billions of dollars that are invested in Bitcoin right now would probably be invested in partially, at least, ways into gold, and that gold would be having that rise that we saw in the 80s. But Bitcoin is, is hampering that. Yeah, Bitcoin is stealing gold's thunder, if you will. Yes, well, like I said, I, I think uh, Bitcoin, gold is a thing of the past, for sure. Uh, some people are going to hang on to that hope forever that Bitcoin's going to save them. I mean, gold's going to save them. But uh, I think as more time goes by, people will start to understand that Bitcoin is 
the Savior. You can basically memorize your seed phrase and you don't even need to have your Bitcoin or a wallet or anything with you. You can go in a new, get out of town and set it up again. How would that work, Dan? And we only got about 40 yeah. seconds. Yeah, great question. So with a Bitcoin wallet, you set up a Bitcoin wallet and you have typically a password or a PIN number to access it. There's also something that you set up called the backup. The backup is the 12 to 24 word phrase that can back up your Bitcoin. So if you forget your PIN number, you have your backup. And so what's cool is you can choose to just destroy the device that has the Bitcoin wallet and just memorize the backup 12 to 24 words. And that's all you need. In fact, so you can memorize that and your Bitcoin can exist in your head, which is super cool. I don't recommend doing that, but you could do that. So if you were, let's say, in a situation like the people in Hong Kong, you know, when they were uh, taking off because China was taking over, all you have to do is memorize those 12 words, go to the new country and set it up. And we'll talk more about that right after this word from our sponsor, so be sure and come back. Hello, I'm Gary Leland, and welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm joined by, I guess, technically, Dan held a Bitcoin OG, is that, is that would that be a term? Dan, technically, you probably are an OG. <laughs> You know, I like to say that everyone who is who has been through a bull and bear market in Bitcoin is an OG. So, I'm, I guess I'm multiple times over OG. But a lot of you <laughs> watching this, if you've been around Bitcoin since 20, uh, 2018 era, you're an OG. So, well, welcome to the OG status. So you've those actually, Dan, seen? I mean, I, I don't care what what price you got into. That's not a statement I'm asking. But you've seen Bitcoin go from maybe less than a hundred to a thousand, drop down to couple hundred to 10,000, drop down to 3,000, to 20,000, drop down to 4,000, to 60,000, drop down to 28,000. I mean, you've seen those drops. That's right. I mean, I, I've, I don't know if you can see, but I've got some gray hairs coming in on my beard. I'm in my <laughs> 30s. So it's uh, Bitcoin definitely, you know, the volatility is a little bit stressful. But for a money that's coming from zero dollars or basically worth nothing, and there's no government or institution or university or any any establishment endorsing it, going from zero to becoming a gold 2.0 or, or world reserve currency, it wasn't going to be a nice smooth path. It was going to be a choppy one. And so that's, that's that volatility manifested in Bitcoin is the choppy path of it going from irrelevant to becoming very relevant and, and globally recognized as a new sort of money. And when you go through that first cycle, I can tell you from my experience, which I almost forgot until my wife is going through her first cycle now, uh, once you go through that first cycle, it's pretty uh, scary when it happens. But after you go through one or two, you get so you really don't pay attention to it as much. Sure, you know what's going on, but is, would, you, would you say that's correct? It's not really, you're not like going, oh my gosh, Bitcoin's going down. You've seen this happen oh. enough. Well, what's funny is after Bitcoin, any asset class for me is, is very, very stable. So <laughs> when I look at buying an apartment or something like that, I'm like, cool, if it drops 20% right away, who cares? And for a lot of people, that would be devastating. But for me, I'm like, I'm mentally, pre I'm mentally prepared for that. So yeah, it, def you, it definitely uh, gives you something that we call diamond hands or hodler hands. So those hodler hands or diamond hands are the hands that you develop after dealing with all the volatility. You learn how to hodl. You learn how to hold. 
Um, HODL is a, a funny meme or term that was created from the word uh, hold. And there's a long story behind that. But HODL is something you've probably heard before. So HODLing talks about how you want to hold on to your Bitcoin no matter how volatile it is. And so, yeah, the volatility definitely, I think, seasons people. It weathers them. It makes them tougher. And we know Dan held, you know, his Bitcoin. <laughs> or you'd have to change your I, name, dude. <laughs> I, I had this is my real last name. A lot of people ask if I changed it. It's a, it's actually a German last name. Um, it's a it's a real it's a very common name in Germany. Um, so all, all my German followers on Twitter and, and other social media channels are always like, oh yeah, hey, do you know what your last name means? And uh, so I yeah, it's actually actually means hero in German, um, which is a very fortuitous last name to have. Um, but yeah, people think I'm a Bitcoiner because. <laughs> For a Bitcoiner, yeah. If people think I made it up, they're like, oh, Held is just like, oh, you made that up. Like Dan held his Bitcoin for 10 years. And no, it's my, my real last name. Well, Dan, I want to get on to a little more serious subject for people. Um, people are always asking one of the top questions, where do I buy Bitcoin, stuff like that. But before we answer where to buy it, I want to ask uh, about something else. And then we'll go, to, well, let's go to where to buy it. Where would people buy Bitcoin that, Dan? I know they can buy it from your company. Um, but I don't think, uh, besides Kraken, and I'm not asking for companies necessarily, I don't think people know how to get started or how to buy some Bitcoin if they want to buy $100 yeah. worth of Bitcoin. What do they do? Let's start with the basics. So, you know, know that you don't have to buy an entire Bitcoin. A Bitcoin is divisible into 100 million pieces, so you can buy a dollar's worth of Bitcoin. I think that's a big misconception because fractional stocks are a relatively new phenomenon. And so a lot of people think Bitcoins are only sold in atomic units, just one Bitcoin. No, you can buy part of a Bitcoin. So don't worry about Bitcoin's price. It's kind of like a share of Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway shares are worth $400,000 a share. Is that expensive or cheap? The answer is neither. It's it accurately priced for how the market believes Berkshire Hathaway is, uh, is worth. They just have never done a stock split. Bitcoin's the same way. So you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. So you can buy $5 or $10 worth. Now, when you think about buying Bitcoin, I know that a lot of people might be watching this because you're a boomer and you might be a little bit less risky than a young, young guy like me. So choose an amount you're willing to lose. I think 1% or 5% is a very low amount of money. If you lose that amount of money, like 1% or 5% of your portfolio, I don't think you're going to be up and you know, stressed out at night. At the same time, if you invest 1% or 5% in Bitcoin 10Xs, so Bitcoin increases tenfold, then that's now worth 10% or 50% of your portfolio, and that becomes very meaningful. So I think that it all depends on your level of risk, but only choose what you're comfortable with because it is volatile. I, you know, I don't think it's worth it if it's going to keep you up at night. Um, for me, I've gone through, I was younger and able to weather that sort of stress, but I think that if you're older and you're, you know, you're very dependent on a stable cash flow, then you need to make sure that you make the right decision. So choose something that you're willing to lose or that you're willing to risk. And then once you're ready to buy, there's a couple of different ways to do it. You could buy it immediately, <clears throat> lump sum, and you can buy it on different places called exchanges. And those would be like our buying company, Kraken, Coinbase. And there's other companies called brokerages like Cash App, Swan, and a few others. And those companies allow you to buy Bitcoin through an exchange, which is like mine. So what does that mean? An exchange you could imagine is like the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, we're, we also function as a brokerage, like your Schwab, Fidelity, E-Trade account. So what you do, and, and, and so Swan and, and Cash App and these other companies, Cash App, by the way, is owned by Square. 
Uh, these companies are act as brokerages, like Fidelity, Swan, etc. In the crypto world, Kraken and Coinbase are both the exchange and the brokerage. I don't want to get too nuanced here and go down, too far down the rabbit hole, but essentially, if you want to buy it direct, you can, or you can buy it through someone else who can broker it for you. And then when you buy it, you can either store it on that exchange, they can hold it for you, or you can hodl it yourself. And so what that would entail is you would buy a uh, device or you create a wallet on your phone or computer. Um, but the best standard is to buy a separate small device that's very cheap, around $50 to $100. And you would store your Bitcoin on that. And a company that does that, for example, would be called Ledger, ledger.com. And so Ledger allows you to store your Bitcoin on that wallet. And it does that in a way would, uh, that enables you to keep it secure and, and private. So... And that wallet you're talking about now is the same storage device we were talking about earlier, or the same type of storage device we were talking about earlier, where you can memorize 12 or 24 words and rebuild that wallet in case uh, it gets stolen or you have to leave without it or it gets broken or whatever. Um, that's the same type of device you were talking about then, right, Dan? That's exactly right. Yeah, so that 12 to 24 word backup that is when you you get a device like a ledger. It's a little little small. It looks like a USB stick, and uh, you create your wallet on the device. And then after you create it, you have a pin that allows you to access it on the device. But if you if you forgot your pin, you set up something called your backup, and that's the twelve to twenty four words, and those could restore your wallet if you forget your password. And just to make sure people understand, when you create a device like that, a wallet. Uh, I think that's a bad name for it sometimes, a wallet, even though it does store your money, I guess. But you're not actually storing your Bitcoin in that wallet. You're storing the keys to your Bitcoin. And we've got like a, minute, a little over a minute left. So you could explain, because a lot of people are going, oh, my Bitcoin's in here, but your Bitcoin's not really in there. It's still on the blockchain. Well, th thanks for throwing me a curveball here, Gary, <laughs> with one minute to explain it. So um, what Gary's talking about is imagine like all the vaults in the world are publicly publicly accessible. So like every vault in the world is sitting in an open open space. But uh, what you need is the key to open up that vault. And so what Gary's talking about is like your Bitcoin doesn't necessarily exist in a physical place. It exists in this digital world on the Bitcoin blockchain, but you need the right key to go access it. So that, that's kind of what he's referencing here. Um, there's a more nuance to it, but within one minute, I think it's very difficult to explain something like that. Yeah, I probably um, threw you a curveball there on that one, Dan. I do apologize. <laughs> that one's a little trickier, but yes, essentially, um, it's the key to open up the vault that this, that's the most important thing. There isn't necessarily just one location for your vault. You can create copies of the wallet. That wallet can be distributed all across the world and uh, in different locations, but unless you have that key, it doesn't matter. And you can have more than one wallet. I mean, you can store yeah, totally. your, some Bitcoin in this wallet and some Bitcoin in this wallet in case you were foolish enough and your house burnt down. Maybe one of the two survived. But you should keep your seed phrase somewhere safe, um, for sure, besides with your wallet. <laughs> so we'll and that's get what's cool is that... I store my seed phrase on titanium. It's on a piece of metal. So do so I. It's, it's we'll be right back waterproof. after this message. Hello, I'm Gary Leland, and welcome back to the BitBlock to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Excuse me. And I'm held by, joined by Dan Held, and that is his real name, Dan. Before we went to the break. You were talking about your titanium 
plate. I use the same thing. Can you explain that just for uh, the audience here real quickly? What is a titanium plate? Why would you have a titanium plate for your Bitcoin? Right. So it's kind of weird and counterintuitive because Bitcoin is digital, right? Why do we need this physical item? Well, when you create a Bitcoin wallet, you can create something called a backup. The backup is a way to restore the wallet if you forget your password. And that backup consists of 12 words. That's it. That's all, that's all there is for that backup. And so you can store that backup on a piece of paper. You can write it down. Or I think a smarter way to store it is you stamp it into a plate of metal. Uh, that metal, titanium, has one of the highest melting points of all metals, uh, on just below tungsten. Tungsten uh, isn't as a uh, useful as a metal though to create these wallets because it's a little bit more expensive and it's a little bit harder to, uh, to stamp into. So <clears throat> with titanium, uh, it's fireproof, waterproof, crush proof, and it allows you to store your backup in a way that's very, very resilient. And so that's why I like to store my, my Bitcoin backup on titanium. And I use, if you're wondering what to use, I use CryptoTag. Uh, they're a really awesome company. Their, their titanium packages come in uh, kind of an Apple-esque box, and I've been using them for uh, over five years now. Now, don't you find it hard to, to get that into that titanium? To me, I ruined a whole plate just trying to get those words in there. <laughs> well, it depends on the kit you buy. There's some that have like a little clicker that you can, you can kind of click into the metal. Some have a literal hammer. Mine had a hammer with little letters you punched. They, they, you know, the crypto tag is a more premium product, so it costs a little bit more, but they have a nice grid where it locks in the letters. And so it makes it very precise. So I, I didn't have any errors when I made well, one. I, sh I should have gone with something like that. I'm telling you, the <laughs> hammer deal, just the thing about doing this, is kind of rough. It, it's, it's not, uh, let's put it this way, your neighbors aren't going to like it. It's a little bit loud. Yes, so yes. just be prepared for that. Hey, Dan, another question uh, I get asked a lot by people. And I think this goes back to the Silk Road days. Isn't Bitcoin used by criminals? Isn't that what it's really good for since it can't be controlled by our government for criminals to do what criminals do? That's a, that's a great question. I think it's one of the biggest misconceptions in this space. There's a company called Chainalysis and Chainalysis looks at all of the transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain and it labels them and it understands which people are transacting with whom. So Bitcoin is non-anonymous. It's not anonymous at all. All, all transactions are publicly uh, visible and easy to see. So I want to knock down that misconception first. The second one is that this company, Chainalysis, looking through all those publicly available transactions, less they've identified that less than 0.1% of all transactions are with illicit sort of, uh, sort of circumstances. So money laundering, drug dealing, et cetera. Now let's counter that with what is the US dollar used for? And over 90% of $20 bills have traces, traces of cocaine on them. So when we look at existing fiat money, they're used far more prevalently for illicit transactions than Bitcoin is. So no, Bitcoin is not used by just money launderers and drug dealers. Bitcoin is used by everyday people trying to choose to store their wealth in a way they can't be seized or censored. And so, yes, do bad people use Bitcoin? Sure. But it's a very, very small percentage and it's far less than existing fiat money or government money. So you're saying dollar bills are used by criminals way more than Bitcoin? Absolutely. I mean, dollar bills can't be tracked, not like Bitcoin can be on the Bitcoin blockchain. 
um, you know, it's it's far easier to go with a briefcase of cash and do an illicit transaction than it is to use Bitcoin. So criminals choose to use dollars. So no, Bitcoin is not used by criminals prevalently. Uh, dollars are. So if you if you if that's a thing that turns you off from the currency, then I would recommend not using your dollars, euros, yen, pounds, because those are by far <laughs> are used for more illicit activities than Bitcoin. Do you think that's one of the faults? narratives out there is that Bitcoin is untrackable. No one knows where Bitcoin goes. You can't follow it. It's on the deep web, the dark web. Is that, I mean, because we, you and I know that's not true. Yeah, it's not true. And, um, and that's a pro and a con. You know, Bitcoin is trackable. Now there's ways to obfuscate your Bitcoin, but it's a little bit more difficult. Um, so there's pros and cons to that. One, I think privacy is a human rights issue. Um, people deserve to be private with both their money, their body, and, and whatever else they'd like. So I would prefer that Bitcoin would be a little bit more private. Um, there's a very nuanced conversation around if Bitcoin was more private, it has to trade other elements of why it makes it valuable. Um, but yeah, that, that's a long sort of deep conversation to have. But yeah, essentially Bitcoin is not private. And so, you know, um, it's one of the biggest misconceptions out there is that Bitcoin is anonymous. So. How do you think that got started? I mean, that the whole world thinks it's, uh, unless you're into Bitcoin, you definitely think it can be tracked. I mean, I wonder who started yeah. that. I mean, it's definitely with the intellectually dishonest journalists. Um, plain, plain and simple, I've been in the space 10 years. I've been quoted in the Wired, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fortune. Um, and frankly, they, I've, I've never had a lower opinion of journalists. Um, they oftentimes don't use Google. Uh, they don't back up any other facts. They intentionally report false information. Um, so that started from them. Mainstream press often quoted that Bitcoin is used by money launderers and drug dealers because it's anonymous, which both of those pieces of information were false. Um, but it didn't matter because they don't truly care about publishing the truth. They just care what they choose to publish for clicks. So yeah, it's been incredibly frustrating in the last 10 years seeing them all intentionally print information that was wrong or things that said like, oh, you could print as many Bitcoin as you'd like, or X, Y, or Z about Bitcoin, or, or Bitcoin um, is flawed or broken because someone had their password, <laughs> someone's password wasn't secure, and they'd be like, oh, Bitcoin's been hacked. So yeah, I've, I've never had a lower opinion of, of mainstream press. Um, it's, it's incredible to see how dishonest they are, and then you realize, and, and I forget what the term is called, I believe it's called the Neil Gilsum effect, where once you understand a topic completely, and then you read the press, you realize that they're misreporting on every topic and not just your topic, because there's no way that they understand Bitcoin. And by the way, Gary, I would not lump you into them. You're very knowledgeable and very, <laughs> and, and this is why you have the well, Bitcoin Boomer it. Show. Yeah, we're talking about people at CNN or Wired or Forbes. Um, so uh, it's incredibly disappointing because you realize that every single topic you read about, whether it be Ukraine or nutrition or anything else, they're similarly misinformed. So it's, it's a little bit depressing to come to this realization that everything you read is basically bullshit. So we have a lot of fake news, you'd say, on Bitcoin out there. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of fake news on Bitcoin. And after 10 years of it, I'm fed up with it. I'm tired of it. So, I, uh, yeah, glad we were able to knock down that misconception, though, because it's one of the biggest ones. You know, I'm surprised I never see any uh, fake news on Bitcoin getting removed from Twitter or Facebook. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, that, I've never the... seen it. And it's pretty <laughs> obvious if you know anything about Bitcoin. It's not an opinion. You know, it's either fake or it's not when they say something. 
Absolutely. Well, as we know, the whole fake news thing or labeling news as real or not isn't about actual truth. It's about political politicalization of narratives. So, yeah, it's incredibly frustrating to see, you know, what I would refer to as, you know, I mentioned the previous uh, publications because those are ones that I think are widely accepted as like good. The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fortune, uh, Wired. These are these are commonly referred to as like top tier publications. Even those are, I would say, are incredibly misinformed or intellectually dishonest. Well, Dan, we have about a minute and a half left. So before we head out of here and let you go, uh, where can people find you? And is there any last comments you want to leave our uh, viewers with? Yeah, so I had a great time, Gary. Really appreciate you having me. And so if you if you like what I have to hear, now, I, I'm not sure how many boomers are watching this, but if you're watching this and you have Twitter, which I'm not sure many of y'all have, it's at Dan Held. That's my Twitter account. That's where I post most of my thoughts. If you like longer form content, which I think most folks here might like, check out my newsletter, The Held Report. So Google The Held Report. And so if you want it for free, you get it once a month. Uh, if you like my thoughts and you want my thoughts on a weekly basis about Bitcoin, it's uh, it's $15 a month. So go check it out, whether you want to do the free or pre, uh, premium tier, up to you. But that's probably the best place you can go to kind of read my longer form thoughts. And it comes in an email. So you might like that format. Well, Dan, I appreciate you coming on the show. I really do. I think your answers were great. I had so many questions that we didn't get to. Being the first one of the season here, I had all these questions thinking... I guess I have to be prepared for someone with short answers, which you, with the knowledge you have, there's no way you're going to give a short answer. You're going to give a thorough answer. And I do appreciate you coming on the show, Dan. Thanks again, Gary. Appreciate it. And everybody, we're going to take a break after this segment, though. Make sure you come back. We're going to come back and wrap it up, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about a contest we're going to have coming up soon. So join us after the break for the Bitcoin Boomer Show. show today with Dan Held. I hope you enjoyed some of the information he gave to you. I hope some of it was useful to you. I do want to tell you about a conference I host real quick. It's called the BitBlock Boom Conference. We're celebrating our fifth year this year, and it's in Austin, Texas. Go to bitblockboom.com and check out the great event I'm hosting in August. Now, Dan was uh, spoke at it last year. Our speakers include senators this year. It's a major conference. Some people say it's one of the top conferences on the entire planet. It's a Bitcoin conference, though, not a crypto conference. In another episode, we'll go over the difference, what those two are. I also want to go back over my book, Bitcoin and the American Dream. Now, I have a contest for you I mentioned in the last episode. If you will send me questions for the show to GaryLeland at gmail.com. That's GaryLeland at gmail.com. Send your questions for the show. And for every question I get, you'll get a drawing for a signed copy of the book. And not only is the book signed by me, it's going to be signed by all eight authors, and it's the hardback version. So send your questions to me. You can send 10 emails if you want with 10 different questions. I don't care. Just send me your questions, and let's get you involved on the show here. And hopefully you'll give me some information I can use. Now, the world, as we talked about earlier, is in turmoil right now. We have the truckers in Canada, truckers in D.C. We have Russia invading Ukraine. We have China. No telling what's going on there, that's for sure. But the world is in havoc and getting in havoc. And many people say, 
these are the times that Bitcoin was created to help out society with. As Dan and I discussed earlier, gold was the things people invested in in times of trouble. But now, gold is basically just sitting there, going up, down, a little, up, down, a little, up, down, a little. Blah. Bitcoin is taking away gold's thunder. So I want you to start watching this show every week. I want you to start listening to Dan's, subscribing to Dan Held's report, which he told you about in the last episode. And I want you to learn and tell people about Bitcoin. This is not a temporary thing. This is not just about a little bit of finance. This is a future technology. This is the only protocol that was missing on the internet. We have videos on the internet. We have audio on the internet. We have photographs on the internet, but we didn't have money for the internet. And that's truly what Bitcoin is. It's an internet protocol and it can't be killed. So until next week's show, I'm Gary Leland, the Bitcoin boomer, and thanks for joining me.